You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. You probably have never heard a sermon on the resurrection. Have you? Anybody ever been to Easter? Okay. I love the narrative. I love the Easter story. Yes. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can just enjoy all of that. It's just fantastic. Uh, today in your bulletin, you've got the new series that we're starting Uh, I've always been intrigued by this time period between the resurrection and then the 40 days that Jesus was with his disciples after he rose from the dead. (laughs) I remember I preached this years ago at a church and there was some some folks that was visiting from the church and they thought, man, that preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. Jesus was, you know, raised on the third day and, and then he went to the right hand of the Father. He wasn't on the earth for 40 days. Folks, he was on the earth for 40 days after the resurrection. Just in case you don't know your Bible, want to make sure you understand. How do you think the disciples listened to Jesus while he was walking with them for three years? I think they were probably impressed with him. Wow. How do you think they listened to him after he died and rose on the third day? appeared to them, had a few things about the kingdom that he wanted to share with them. Do you think you'd pay a little more attention? Well, folks, he's still risen. You can say that again. It's a good day to pay attention. It's a really, really wonderful day to pay attention. So I'll read the resurrection story because most of you weren't here when Linda read it. So... (laughs) uh, I'll read it for, for those that weren't here. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time there. I'll hit four imperatives and then we're going to move right on because there's some other things that I want us to look at today. As the Sabbath was ending, at the first light of dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to take a look at the tomb. Suddenly the earth shook violently beneath their feet as the angel of the Lord Jehovah descended from heaven. Lightning flashed around him, and his robe was dazzling white. The guards were stunned and terrified, lying motionless like dead men. Then the angel walked up to the throne, rolled away the stone, and sat on top of it. That's a cool angel right there. I like that. that. The women were breathless and terrified until the angel said to them, There's no reason to be afraid. I know you're here looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen victoriously, just as he said. Come inside the tomb and see the place where our Lord was lying. Then run and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. I give you his message. I'm going ahead of you into Galilee and you will see me there. They rushed quickly to tell his disciples, and their hearts were deep in wonder and filled with great joy. Along the way, Jesus suddenly appeared in front of them and said, Rejoice! They were so overwhelmed by seeing him that they bowed down and grasped his feet in adoring worship. Then Jesus said to them, Throw off all your fears. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will find me there. Wow. God's always inviting us. 
When you look at the four imperatives of the resurrection, a sermon that I preach many, many times, it's an invitation to come and to see. And it's a command to go and tell. And and we find that this is at the resurrection. It's also at Christmas, at the birth of Christ. The shepherds come and they come and they see the, the Messiah. And then they're to go and to tell. And so we get the same four imperatives here at the resurrection. Come and see, this is where he was laid. Now go and tell. Go, go and tell his disciples. And it's like, wow. That's the kind of God that we serve. It's a God who's always inviting us to come in. Come in and see. I love it when people invite It's so incredibly wonderful, especially if where you are, they know you really would like to be a little closer. And so they invite you to come in and and really take a look for yourself. I was in an operating room as a a clergy person. Uh, It was awareness of cancer and it was amazing surgery. The the, the whole abdomen was opened up and the intestines were flipped up in a baggie on top of his chest. And there's the vena cava and we're looking at all of this stuff. And I mean, the body's right there and I'm right here. Fortunately, I had a student nurse who had wonderful perfume that helped the cauterization because I'd have probably passed out if she hadn't been there. But it just cleared it. And the wonder and the sacredness of the human body just overwhelmed me as I was looking in. It was so amazing. And the teaching surgeon at IU Med Center, a godly man, said, oh, get a little closer. Look right here. No, no, come a little. And I'm afraid to. It's like, this is too amazing. But I really want to. But I, I'm, a, I'm a little cautious. What happens if I sneeze or... What was the Seinfeld edition with your gummy drop, Juju or something? Juju mint. What? what <laughs> and the Juju mint goes, no. <laughs> but it was so amazing, as you saw. You, you want to really get closer. You want to get, and he had my nose right there so I could see the vena cava. And I was just going, wow. God wants us to get really close. He wants us to see. He wants us to see the wonder of what the resurrection has accomplished for us. And so we've got to come into the empty tomb. We've got to come and see what exactly has been taken place. Now, you're catching me at a time when I'm all messed up. God's just been wrecking me, and it's glorious. I'm really thankful for it. It's not a bad wrecking, but it's, it's, it's one of those where my inside is coming outside and my outside's flipping. I'm getting turned every which way but loose. And it's, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. So I've never preached on Romans for Easter, but we're going to Romans 6, okay? It'll be on the board. We're looking at the Passion Translation. That's what I was reading before in Matthew as well. Here we are in Romans 6, beginning at verse 2. You can follow on the, on the slides. We have died to sin once and for all. As a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? 
Anybody want to continue to live under sin? I got three that don't, okay. I've got a few more that I got to convince before we're done. Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, the anointed one, were immersed into union with his death? Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we are co-buried and co-entombed with him. Isn't that a happy thought? Do you realize that when you came to Christ, that his death you participate in? His death becomes your death. (laughs) So that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected. If I'm going to co-die, if I'm going to be co-buried, co-entermed, I'm glad I'm co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to express an entirely new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new, and the word there for new is an entirely different, brand new, never been seen before, creation. Wow. I like that. Entirely new life. For if we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like his, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and the new life that it imparts. Okay? We're grafted into the resurrection and the life that it imparts. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of his life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanished, has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. But he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. So let it be the same with you. Since you are now joined with him, you must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the anointed one. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to the church. I pray, Father, for those that uh, have yet to believe that your spirit would release a grace that would enable us to believe. And for the unbelieving believers, I pray, Father, that wherever we've believed, I pray, the Lord, that you would stretch us and that we would find that our faith would grow and that we would believe even more the truth of your holy word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Lord, have mercy. So it's a lot easier to preach from a narrative. 
I love preaching from the narrative of, of the resurrection. And I, as soon as I start reading Paul's letter in Romans, I could see the slumber come upon you. It's like, oh, Paul. Oh, I like stories. I don't like Paul. Oh, yeah. And it's like, what is it that when, when we get into the reality of, of what the stories have done, and then now we, we get the Apostle Paul to, to help break it down so that we can understand what the cross and the resurrection actually, how does, it, how does it relate to you personally? What has it done? What has it accomplished? Well, I think part of the problem is that we don't understand what the problem is. Do you know you got a problem? Help me with my problems. Anybody need help? No, we don't need help. We got Google. We can we can Google it. You know, we, we don't have a problem. And, and, and I find that oftentimes for me, having been a believer now for over 50 years, it's it's like you get so familiar with some of this stuff that you you lose the freshness and the and the and the power that's behind it. And it's like this is amazing. What's the problem? And, and for most of us, we think the problem, I, I remember when I came to Jesus at, at an early age, I knew I was a sinner. I'd sinned. I'd stolen a candy bar at Harry's Hardware Store. And I knew, based on what I heard at church, I was going to hell because I'd sinned. And it, 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 had a, it had a heavy weight on me. So as a, as a child, when, when I heard the gospel, when I heard the, the good news, it was that Jesus would forgive me for stealing that candy bar. And I was so happy about that. I was so happy that he was going to forgive me for stealing the candy bar. I didn't realize that that candy bar was just the tip of the iceberg of many things that were going to flow out of me that I needed forgiveness for. Anybody following? Oh, yeah. Okay. And... and and when I, when, I, when I realize that, the, that Christ, as he comes, he, he's here to reveal the Father to us, but he's also to restore to us who we truly are and what we were created to be. And Paul calls Jesus the second Adam. What in the world does he mean by that? I know some of you, this is just not exciting at all. But this is important because Jesus comes to bring the fullness of what God intended us to be back into a possibility. So the problem, we have to go back to Genesis. When God created man, when he created humanity, when he created Adam and Eve, what was his intention? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Hallelujah. Hmm. <clears throat> Pretty cool. It is. So when we're created, 
original, and it's hard for us to get a grasp on this because we're so far removed from that, but we were created in God's image and in his likeness. In his image and in his likeness. And uh, this week in, in Sockham, we had a great illustration of what that looked like. Um, Putty held up a, a, a $5 bill with the image of, anybody know who, what president's on the $5 bill? Lincoln. Lincoln, Lincoln yeah. And I thought that was interesting. He could have got a $1 and put up George, but he, he put up Lincoln. And, and as you see Abe Lincoln, you, you see that this was an image of Abraham Lincoln. This wasn't Abe. This was just an image of Abe. And as you, as you realize it, and, and we've seen so many drawings of Abe, Abe, Abraham Lincoln that if somehow Abe walked through the doors, we'd know who he is, even though we never met him, because we've seen his image. We've seen his image over and over and over and over and over. And you and I were created in the image of God. And we were created in this image of God so that all creation, when they saw us, they could see the image of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They could see God by seeing us. Now, <clears throat> some of you are probably starting to get a little nervous now, thinking that you know, your God complex might just go right out. This is so interesting. I look at image, then I look at likeness. He created us in his image and in his likeness. And, and this isn't just two, two ways of expressing the same concept. When you became a Christian, you may have prayed a prayer like this. Lord, help me be more like Jesus. Because we knew that something inherently in us was not like Jesus. Uh, and so when we're praying a prayer like that, we're, we're praying a prayer for likeness. We're praying for a prayer of restore the likeness that I was created in God's image with. Cause me to be like who I'm supposed to be. Okay? Hmm. But what happened? Here they are perfectly in God's image. They have dominion over all creation. They're to, to attend to the garden. They're to take care of all of that and to rule over all the animals, everything that's going on. And then there's the fall. And what gets lost in the fall, as sin takes place, not only in, in the action and the disobedience, but then in the ingesting of, of that object that represented the disobedience and the rebellion and the desire to be independently God-like without being in relationship with God, as that went in, not only did we sin and start following with behaving like sinners, but we became a sinner. If you look at, at, at mankind as you read the biblical narrative and you start to see from that moment on what happens with Cain and Abel and, 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 and the jealousy and the, and the murder and everything that goes on, all the way as it continues to progress, you see that we who were created in the image and the likeness of God is behaving more like we're created in the image and the likeness of the devil. Because sin continues to be our natural expression of how we, how we go about it. So much so that in Genesis, 5, or Genesis 6, verse 5, this is how bad it got. This is just in the sixth chapter of the Bible. Okay, We're only six chapters in. 
A lot of times we think the fall of man, you know, ouch, we got hurt, but thank Jesus died and now we, we're all's good. We forget how far from who we originally were we fell. This is what God says. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. Wow. Anybody here fit that? Most of us don't fit that, but all the time, all the time, we're just thinking from our heart, evil, 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 evil. But that's what we lost at the fall. That's what we lost. And today when we celebrate resurrection, we're celebrating a resurrection that not only... uh, takes care and forgives us for all our misbehaviors, all the sinful acts that we've done. But we celebrate a power in Christ Jesus being raised from the dead, that it goes down to what was ingested through sin. (laughs) Now we ingest Christ. And the resurrection power goes back and restores the image and likeness of God. Anybody 100% like Jesus? We're working on it, huh? Yeah. We have Jesus in, and we're becoming more and more the restoration of his likeness. We don't always need the little bracelet. What would Jesus do? But you know, that wasn't a bad idea from an external reality of trying to remind us, oh, I'm in this situation, what would Jesus do? And that's okay, but that's working from the outside trying to work something in. But what the resurrection has done, the power that raised Jesus from the dead as that resides in us, that works from the inside out. And so (laughs) what would Jesus do, we do, without asking the question? because he's been worked in us. That's why Jesus, as, he, as he's heading to the cross, he's trying to get this reality to the disciples before his death and resurrection. He says, I'm in you and you're in me. Hallelujah. Just as the Father is in me and I'm in him. So I, I've been meditating. I've been preaching that for a couple months. As, as I've looked at that and trying to really understand what is he saying? How much of the Father's in Jesus and how much of Jesus is in the Father? And when, when you really start to look closely, you, you can't hardly tell, tell them apart. There's so much of the Father in Jesus and so much of Jesus in the Father. And he says, just as we have this going, that's the way it's going to be with you and me. Right on. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's his presence. It's his living presence that comes in. So going back to the Romans 6, we we catch these phrases that were immersed into union with Jesus and his death. We're co-buried, we're entombed with him, but we're also co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to express an entirely new life. If you are in Christ Jesus, that's going to be a little stretch for you, especially with 
today's movie world, you're a new species. You haven't been seen since Adam. The believer, the believer is so radically new from everything else, it's, it's absolutely amazing. The next phrase, that you're permanently grafted into him to experience a death like his and a resurrection like his and the new life that it imparts. Wow. You're in union, you're grafted. These are expressions that talk about how we are so in Christ and Christ is in us. Our former identity is now forever deprived of its power. You're not the same. You're not the same person. And if you're still the same, you probably haven't had the fullness of Jesus released in you. And that can happen today. I've been going for 50 years plus, and I'm still changing. I'm still changing. It's just like, oh my, this is amazing. His love and fellowship and intimacy is constantly doing something new and fresh inside of us. It's a new life. And there's so many dimensions to the newness that he has for us. So our former identity is forever deprived of its power because we're co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin. And for, for many of us, the, the, the way in which sin gets in, it's so sneaky. It comes in through, through, through just the base appeal to temptation, to God-given desires to meet them illegitimately in a godless kind of way, all the way to being so religiously, externally proper that we don't understand how far, how far our sin has gone in pride and religiousness. So that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Man, anybody want to get out of that? Bless your neighbor real quick. They're falling asleep. It's, it's man, I've still got plenty of time, but I'm, I'm, I've lost them. Say, come on, the bald guy's going to say something good here in a minute. Listen, listen. Our identity is forever deprived of its power because his resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice, he died to sin's power once and for all. This is good news. This is the good news of the resurrection. This is good news of Jesus coming to earth. He has come to restore us into fellowship with the Father. He's come to forgive us of our sins, but not just forgive us our sins. He's come to go into the very root of the image and likeness that we were created in and to bring a full restoration. What a king. If you're struggling with addiction, if you're struggling with a problem, if, if there's some kind of behavior that the enemy has got such a, uh, such a huge hook in you that you, you try, you've prayed, you've fasted, you've had others pray for you and you can't get out, maybe this truth will help set you free.
You were created in the image and likeness of God. But you function so long in the image and the likeness of the devil <laughs> that we don't know that we were created in the image and likeness of God. So that the truth that Jesus wants to restore into us is already so embraced that this is who I am. You know, I can't do such and such. I, I can only, I can only uh, participate in these kind of activities. It, it, whatever it is that, that has restricted you, you need to understand that the power of the resurrection is to set you free in the fullness of his image and his likeness. You're still not getting it. I'm, I'm not getting it across. Jesus, help me. Come on. Help me, Jesus. There's stuff that we have just resigned ourselves to in believing this is as good as it gets. This is the way I function for the last umpteen years. And this is the way it will be until I die. And I'm here to say that is an absolute lie. The image and the likeness of Christ in you is your hope of glory. And when we learn how to receive the fullness of who Jesus is inside, all of a sudden, all those things that we have put as self-defining, self-restricting, self-limiting, all of a sudden those things get blown to smithereens. And you get to discover who you truly are. Uh, when you start looking in the mirror and you don't see the little hair that's grown over here and you start to see Jesus, wow. You look in the mirror and you say, I know you're in there. I know you're in there. And, and you look in the mirror and you're starting to see, I am created in his image and in his likeness. And what's it mean to be in his image and likeness? You're going to point everyone to Jesus. You're going to point everyone to the Father. You're going to point people to God. When they see you, they're going to see an image of God. And they're going to see you behaving in ways that are like him. Like him. Anybody got a, an idea how God behaves? Oh, he loves. Somebody knows God loves. If, if, you're, if you're moving in the likeness of God, you'll, you'll start loving. Not because you have to, so you can get your merit badge. No, you start doing it because it's in you. Because he's in you. God is love. Okay? And his perfect love casts out fear. So all of a sudden, as love starts to take place in you and you start in the likeness of God, in the likeness that you were created in, all of a sudden, fear has to move out. And so if you've got any fear operating in your life, that's a good invitation to invite the likeness of God into that area so that the love will drive out the fear. Anything else, God is? Compassionate, 
Love is an expression of his compassion. It, it's love that takes action. It sees, a, it sees something and it, and it moves on, on what needs to happen for someone who's hurting and broken. Have mercy. He's merciful. Oh my. If we're moving in his image and his likeness, then there's going to be more mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. <laughs> if you're still driving around in your car, and you're praying for God to come down and strike the vehicle in front of you, you haven't understood the likeness and the image that you were created in. The resurrection hasn't ministered to that part of you. And so we need to say, oh Lord, let your image and your likeness come in so that your mercy will be seen in the earth because I am your image and your likeness. It lives and resides within me. Mm. Amen for that. Have we exhausted everything that God is? Oh, joy. Ah, joy, All joy. Right. Man, if, if his likeness, and a lot of times we don't see this, especially at this time of the year, we see a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Well, we, we, he, he went through that phase, but Jesus was the happiest man on earth. He was full of joy. And the fun, I, I love Zephaniah as it, as it talks about how, how God leaps and twirls and dances and sings and how he loves you yeah. and manifests that great joy. And that's really good. Right. I mean, that's going to mess with your depression. That's going to you know, mess with your pity parties. It's, it's going to really mess with you wanting to be the absolute focus of all the pain and misery in the world. It's going to because you're created in the image and the likeness of God. And the resurrection is the power that releases that through Jesus Christ into you so that you can live out the fullness of your destiny. Thank you, Jesus. I'm Hallelujah. starting to get a little closer to what I've been trying to say. All power. He, he's, he's so powerful. God is so powerful, and you're created in his image and his likeness. And as a matter of fact, his, his commission to you is to rule over the earth. And to rule over the earth, you need power. Oh, this is going to mess with, I'm weak, I'm powerless. Everybody picks on me. Nobody. It'll mess with that concept. That image has got to go because it's not who you truly are. Because you're created in the power, image, and likeness of God. And the resurrection is the ultimate demonstration of the power. And if that power that raised Jesus from the dead, it can change you from a powerless, snively little wimp into an understanding that you have been commissioned by the sovereign, powerful God to represent him on the earth. So how are we going to do this? How do we go from where we are to where we want to be, where the resurrection has provided, made provision for us to be? Well, a lot of us, we, we, we've got all these We've got all these preconceived notions that I can't be like that, that we almost have to give permission for the Holy Spirit to come and dismantle that. 
Whatever it is that restricts and limits you in the ability to know and embrace the fullness of who you are in Christ Jesus, we need to give Holy Spirit opportunity to blow that thing up. If by eating the apple, something got inside of Eve and then extended to Adam and inside Adam, and that was so powerful that it says that we only thought of evil all the time in our heart. How much more is the body and the blood of Jesus that we ingest able to go down inside of us and blow up the dominion of sin and release the dominion of Jesus and the fullness of his kingdom. So that's why I saved communion for the end. I thought we need, we need a little show and tell. Yeah. We need an object lesson. And the object is Jesus. Bring it on. And so as we've seen the proficiency with which we can do bad things, what is the resurrection trying to do through the blood and the body of Jesus inside of us to release the good things? And I think there's a multiple thing. I've got so many things that I'm excited about. Of course, it's Easter. I'm sorry, all visitors. I'm just, well, communion. We want Jesus released. Okay, so let's, uh, if you're comfortable with this, just kind of put your hand over your heart and say, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to go beyond all my limitations, all the ways in which I restrict the fullness of Jesus from being fully manifest in my life. Lord Jesus, come manifest the fullness of yourself. Amen. So let's eat him. Let's ingest. I guarantee you it's far better than the apple or whatever the fruit was, the pear for some. His righteousness, his image, his likeness is restored. His kingdom will manifest and it will become real for you. Amen for that. But the last thing I want to see is that you come for an Easter service and you have an encounter that lasts a period of 24 hours. For many of us today, we are launching on something that will go not just for our lifetime, but for all eternity. We're launching a full ability for the Holy Spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of his resurrection, to release and restore the full image and likeness of God in us. And then what follows is a kingdom rule, to follow the rule of the king. So Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your house to celebrate not just something historical, but something that is alive today. We celebrate resurrection power right now in Jesus' name. We say, let the healing, 
let the, the, the restraints, everything that's imprisoned and chained us, I pray, Father, that stinking thinking would turn to ecstatic, holy, joyful thoughts. The psalmist writes that precious concerning me are your thoughts, O Lord. They're vast. If they were to be numbered, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And Father, many of us need to have new thoughts about who we are. So Holy Spirit, would you just start planting some thoughts in our minds of how the Father sees us? of how Jesus sees us and how you see us. And as we come to this table, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would cause each of us to encounter the resurrected Lord in all his glory. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.